And this is Martin Strong in for Mike Smith this morning. And it's time now for Baldry's Beat with Keith Baldry, Global News' Global uh, Legislative Bureau Chief. Hello, Keith. How are you? Pretty good. How you doing? Good, good. Lots to talk about. I guess we got we to gotta get to the fires. Uh, uh, 300 fires now, 77 new ones over the weekend. And one thing I learned from watching Global News over the weekend is don't fly your drone into a forest fire. Yeah, that's a very serious uh, situation if that happens. You can uh, literally collide with one of the many aircraft that are above, primarily helicopters dumping water, and you incur a considerable penalty to yourself. It's a $100,000 fine and uh, one year in jail, and it can be both. So it's very serious. uh, It's treated very seriously. There was an incident uh, near Becca Lake in the interior uh, where one individual was flying a drone in an area where there were helicopters dumping water and, again, creating a very serious aerial hazard, which could lead to the loss of life. So, yeah, don't fly your drone anywhere near a forest fire, please, whether it's one that's uh, out of control or not. Yeah, and it, and they have to ground everything for hours. It's yeah. not like they just have to wait till you get away with your drone. They have the, the, through their protocol is to wait a few hours, right? Yep, and uh, again, that just allows the fire to spread. So you're basically aiding and abetting the spread of a of a wildfire. And in many situations, right now we have 17 what are called interface fires. Those are fires that pose direct threats to communities or neighborhoods or cities or towns. Uh, most fires are out in the wilderness, not near anyone, but the, the most serious ones are the interface fires. As I say, last week we had nine, now we've got 17. And a number of the ones we had last week continued to burn. They're not being put out. So it's a very serious situation fighting wildfires, and we certainly don't need to exacerbate the already cha- monumental challenges firefighters face without putting drones in the air. Right. And also, I was reading this morning about on Kalamalka Lake, uh, they've been having trouble with boaters getting in the way of the planes when they come down and swoop up the water that they drop on the fires mm. that so so if you're a boater get out of the way as well yes you know our teams that cover forest fires are given um sort of maps or areas where you can go and where you can't go and we obey the rules which is so there's exclusion zones that surround fires uh, to ensure you don't inadvertently or advertently get in the way and, and uh, complicate uh, the situation for firefighters. So, I, again, it's incumbent upon um, uh, boaters, drone flyers, even private aircraft, get out of the way and do, don't blunder into an area you're not supposed to be in because you could inadvertently cause serious trouble. Right. And uh, talking about uh, states of emergency, regional district, uh, a state of emergency for Okanagan Similkameen has been issued. It's a local state of emergency. And we have a clip of, uh, of a resident near, near Sun Peaks, uh, Hillary Schneider, and she wonders if the province could do more when it comes to this. We have a clip of her. I think the thing that is frustrating, too, it's like, why hasn't there been an emergency um, for the province? Because in 2017 there was. So I don't know if that's kind of the government or the BC Wild. It's hard to say because we talked to the firefighters yesterday, and I think they're doing what they can. So, Keith, uh, declaring a provincial state of emergency, uh, what does that do? And do you think it's something that needs to be done? Well, it doesn't really materially change anything for the moment. What it does do is it gives the minister and his team, the public safety minister and his and officials, uh, greater powers to do certain things, such as seize land, seize personal property, uh, set 
uh, prices, uh, for example, better control of the supply chain, but it doesn't suddenly give them uh, more money to fight forest fires, for example, or, or more staff to fight forest fires. It can, um, the minister could almost conscript someone to fight forest fires if they have a special area of expertise, but not just an average person driving down the road. So it doesn't really fundamentally change a lot that's going on uh, right now. But having said that, as we, and I've talked to Mike Farnworth about this numerous times, he's not ruling out calling it a provincial emergency, but he says he does it on the advice and recommendation of fire experts. That he does, it's not a political decision. It comes at the recommendation of the professionals who run the Forest Service and the wildfire service. And, but again, as the number of fires grow, as you say, 307 as of right now, 36 in the last 24 hours, and as the number of interface fires grow from nine last week to 17 this week, um, the prospects of a state of emergency being, de- uh, being declared become more and more likely. Especially when you look at the weather forecast, it, mm. it's not getting any better and we're in for another round of heat. So I'm sure Global News will be covering that a lot in the okay. next week. It, so, it's going to consume our coverage, I think. We've gone from COVID around the clock to pretty well wildfires. Right, right. And, and that means less time to talk about uh, federal election and uh, all the speculation about a federal election. Uh, Trudeau was here uh, last Friday, but didn't say... Hey, what, what what's your thoughts? I mean, it, does it, is it a done deal? Oh, I think so. I'd be very surprised if he doesn't have an election. It's interesting. The other leaders seem to agree with him. Jagmeet Singh was out here uh, last week as well, uh, campaigning. Literally, I went to a campaign event, uh, you know, pre-campaign event he had in, in Victoria. Certainly felt like he thinks there's an election coming. Aaron O'Toole is arriving in Metro Vancouver today, the leader of the Conservatives, for a speaking engagement. Uh, I don't think Justin Trudeau brings out a $1.3 billion check and hands it over <laughs> for a sky train unless there's some political uh, expectations of associated with it. And I think that's a a vote September or October. I'd like to get your thoughts on this. Listen to this clip of Trudeau talking about that uh, big check for the SkyTrain extension. And uh, listen to the people in the back booing. And I want to get your thoughts on it. Let's play that. Today, I can announce the federal government will provide up to $1.3 billion for the Surrey-Langley SkyTrain extension. The new line will connect growing Surrey neighbourhoods, the township of Langley and the city of Langley with the rapid transit families, workers and students deserve. If you're wondering what that'll look like, this project includes an elevated extension of 16 kilometres from King George Station, eight stations, three bus exchanges and 30 SkyTrain cars. So that was Justin Trudeau last week. Some very happy people at the front and some very unhappy people booing in the back. Why were they booing? Do you know? Yeah, there were, according to our reporter there, I guess who was covering it for us, but um, one group was the anti-old uh, growth logging group. And the other was the anti-lockdown, anti-mask uh, group. Right. Uh, and there's probably a couple others sprinkled in there. You know, having said that, I think Trudeau does, he's popular, but he's also unpopular. You know, an Abacus data poll out today, as a matter of fact, that I'll be reporting on at noon, um, shows that Trudeau has 40% positives, but he also has an equal number, almost equal number, 39% negatives. So he's sort of a 50-50 proposition to many people. I think the longer he's in office, the less popular he'll be, but he still has a considerable degree of popularity. But I wonder, 
it's one of my pet theories, who knows whether it's true or not, that does the anti-Trudeau vote not necessarily go Aaron O'Toole's way, because he's yet to prove himself uh, with a lot of voters, and does it, it go to the NDP uh, in some places? People who would never have voted NDP before, instead of uh, voting for Trudeau or O'Toole, does, do they cast their anti-Trudeau vote in that party? Because the Green Party right now, which is usually a vehicle of protest for many people, is in complete disarray at the federal level. They're just beset by infighting and intrigue and backbiting. I'm not sure they can get their act together in time to have an effective campaign, particularly with a leader who seems to be mortally wounded. So I think there's a lot of voters out there that are going to move around, and perhaps a more likely landing place may be the NDP. But, you know, the polls seem to indicate, Martin, that this is a slam-dunk win for Trudeau in terms of majority. But election campaigns matter, and things can change. As a matter of fact, we're actually going to have a campaign, a real live campaign. We didn't have one in B.C., of course, in the recent provincial elections because of, of uh, COVID. Yeah. We weren't allowed to gather. Now you're able to do this. So you saw Trudeau there. That was his first appearance in Vancouver, or well, second appearance because he had one the day before, with a large crowd, actually a crowd of people and, and, and you know, supporters and protesters alike. And we haven't had that for 16 months. And this is Martin Strong in for Mike, and it's Baldry's Beat with Keith Baldry, Global BC Legislative Bureau Chief. And uh, you mentioned off the top about how the forest fires have kind of bumped uh, the COVID coverage uh, out of the road. And I guess all that's left, well, it's all about vaccines. And today Mm -hmm. there's talk of Pfizer trying to push for a third vaccine, but it, it doesn't seem like it's got a lot of traction at this point. No, not yet. Uh, a number of uh, infectious disease experts say it's not required. We don't need it yet. It also raises the question, is it really ethical to you know, inject millions of people with a third dose in the United States and Canada, one at a time when the vast majority of the world has yet to get a single dose? So I think vaccines are needed in many places around the world that have not had a single dose. We're at now close to 80% first dose across Canada, and about 50% second dose across Canada, numbers that are even better than the United States. So I'm not sure we're going to get approval from either Health Canada or the uh, Food and Drug Administration United States for a third dose. It sounds like Pfizer's got a a bigger case to make than what they've made so far. Yeah, we just talked to Jason Tetro, the uh, germ guy. The germ guy. guy, And he was saying it it, it, it sort of a third dose at this point increases, you go from like uh, 85% to 88%. Yeah. or something and then you look at a map of say Africa and there are so many people there who don't even have a first shot it, exactly. it's ethically very suspect well let, let's talk about soccer well first I'm going to give out the phone line 604-280-9898 star 9898 if you have any questions about uh, BC politics or the upcoming federal election could be kind of interesting if you have a question for Keith Baldry. But let's talk about soccer. I mean, were you, where were you watching the game? Oh, I was at home with my wife. We were hanging on every kick, and that was just gut-wrenching to watch that Pentley kick affair. Um, really felt sorry for the British guys who uh, missed, especially the 19-year-old at the very end there oh. was crying afterwards. It's it just uh, the whole country, I'm sure, was just hanging on us. What's really upsetting, though, is the racist attacks that have occurred on social media and have been called out and denounced uh, by so many people. Um, and calling on social media 
um, proponents who own these sites to do more and do better than allow racist commentary to occur like this. So that's really upsetting that that occurred. But, you know, having said that, that was such a compelling game, compelling match. You know, obviously, if you're a Brit- an England fan, a horrible outcome. And if you're an Italian fan, a wonderful one. Yeah, as you could tell, if you drove down Commercial Drive. Oh, yeah. But it was so interesting to me because, uh, like, the English team is uh, a- around 50% black. And mm-hmm. earlier in this tournament last year, uh, they made headlines because the entire team started to take a knee yeah. during the national anthem. Uh, the British politicians chimed in. And at first, uh, they were very, very unsupportive of this. One MP, I forget his name, uh, he accused them of being a team of Marxists. <laughs> but then all of a sudden, they start to win, and then everybody wants to, wants to be behind the team. This is a different British. I mean, I've been following, of course, the three years Euro Cup and World Cup. This is a different British, a very different English team than previous ones. This is much more socially progressive, much more activist, uh, and I think much more reflective of the country. But it's unfortunate that the reaction was what it was. Mm-hmm. And the manager Gareth Southgate. Um, first of all, uh, could there be a more British name than Gareth Southgate? Well, Harry Kane's a pretty a fairly English name as well. <laughs> yeah, but but I I kind of I I was impressed by this guy because he stood behind the team. And uh, have you seen that video? It's it's uh, a group of Islamic students at a seminary in Blackburn, England. It's a big group of men, and they're all wearing white robes. And they're watching the game from last Wednesday when England beat, uh, I think it was Denmark, Denmark yep. to uh, on a penalty kick. So it was this incredible penalty kick. And you see these st- Islamic students uh, cheering for Britain. Mm-hmm. And it, it went viral because people thought it was such a sort of beautiful, uh, sort of an example of, of healthy patriotism. Yeah, and it, it stands in stark contrast to the unfortunate um, reaction that greeted the, the penalty kicks loss. Uh, so that's encouraging. Uh, but discouraging was the online reaction for so many people. Yeah. So so now that uh, I, I guess it's going to be mostly uh, fires. Uh, so what what are some of the interesting stories that you're covering that you 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 think are going to be big in the next month or so? Well, I've been covering COVID relentlessly for 16 months. I'll probably still keep an eye on that. Um, look for the Centers for Disease Control's variants of control report out today. It was delayed on Friday. We'll see where the Delta variant is. Delta variants racing through a lot of other countries right now and upsetting their reopening plans. I don't think that's going to happen in BC, but we're going to continue to keep an eye on that. Uh, the ongoing uh, uh, surge in healthcare, demand for healthcare in BC. I've talked to Adrian Dix about this. I expect a news conference from him this week about the ambulance situation. Global's done a number of stories uh, on the long waits people have for ambulances because there's a surge in demand for emergency uh, help, both ambulances and the the visits to emergency rooms are up significantly than pre-pandemic levels. That's an ongoing story. And of course, the ongoing wildfire situation, which is going to go on all summer. Well, thank you, Keith. Keith Keith Baldry is the Global BC Legislative Bureau Chief.